Arizona's news station, KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. Hey, let's jump right into this. We're excited to have State Senator Kate Brophy-McGee on with us right now because Senator Brophy-McGee is the sponsor, creator of a proposed ballot initiative that would raise the sales tax in the state of Arizona with revenue going to education. But did I, uh, by the way, good morning, uh, good Senator. morning. Did did I did I do a good job explaining what it is, or how would you explain it? No, you did, and oh. you're hired. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> no, you did a very good job. All right. So, explain a little bit more the details to our audience, Senator, about the a penny for education. What would this entail? So, currently, we pay point six cents sales tax that um, that is dedicated to. Uh, education, K-12, community colleges and universities, my proposal would increase that 0.4 cents to a full penny of sales tax, and it would be dedicated to K-12 community colleges and universities. Okay. I, I, I have a few questions, and I, and I, I know that you're probably uh, uh, well-versed in this, because this is some of the feedback we got in speaking about this. In the past... And you can help me understand this. Is the concern or a concern is that the state legislature will just I'm going to use the term zero out the budget. Will they remove from the general fund whatever extra monies this uh, uh, increase in sales tax brings to education so that we're just back to zero again? Uh, that's called supplanting, and my thought would be that they would do so at their peril. This is a separate and dedicated funding source beyond what the general fund allocations are. But they, but in they addition, could do that. In, no. Oh. In addition, the the funding majority of funding to K twelve education, not all components of the budget, but but the majority of the funding components are voter protected from the original Prop 301. Even if the funding were to end, which it now won't because of legislation um, that I passed a couple of years ago extending the funding legislatively, even if the funding were to stop, the state is mandated to fund those parts of the K-12 funding as long as it goes into the base and it is it is voter protected and voter mandated. What I would like to do as part of renewing and enhancing the penny sales tax via voter initiative is to voter protect it. Okay. Okay, so again, if you're just joining us right now, we're talking to State Senator Kate Brophy McGee about um, a proposition that, or a proposal that she has, rather called a penny for education that would increase sales tax. We already have it at 0.6 of a cent; it would raise it to a full cent. And you're looking to get this on the ballot. My question to you, Senator, is: Do you have support within the legislature to get this on the ballot? Uh, I, it's I, the support is mixed. Uh, I can talk to my conservative colleagues, and a fair number of them can get to a place where they ask the voters if it is okay to raise taxes. My Democratic friends are more wedded to the Invest in Ed initiative, which is 
currently gathering signatures, which would tax the top X percent, 1% earners in, in Arizona and assess an additional or a surcharge or a tax. So it's, it's tax mm-hmm. the rich is what the, yeah. the plan is. I don't even think they would shy away from that. <laughs> uh, we're again talking to State Senator Kate Brophy McGee. I have a, I'm going to argue, maybe a philosophical question for you. Uh, yes. As a state senator, is it the role of the legislature uh, to fund state programs like education or is ballot initiative the way you go about it? Because I could make the argument, well, if we're going to do this with education, what other programs would the legislature just turn that power over to the voters? Well, quite a bit of our general fund budget, uh, probably about 70, 75% of our general fund budget is already protected or directed via voter mandate. What I'm doing is working off of the original Prop 301 mm-hmm which is in play in perpetuity to ensure dedicated funding to education. And I'm working to protect that source and extend it so that um, the legislators really can't maneuver the dollars that are allocated there. All right. So, again, we have State Senator Kate Brophy-McGee joining us on the KTIR Newsmaker Line. We're talking about funding education in the state of Arizona, which is a hot-button issue for me because I've got a daughter in this system, and I think that we have been woefully underfunded in this state for way too long. So I'm encouraged that there is movement and there's conversations that are taking place, but some of the conversations are, are different. And as you alluded to a little bit, Senator, about the Invest in Ed, That is, you know, kind of a grassroots effort, didn't make it on the 2018 ballot, may make it on the 2020. That is tax the rich. Your proposal would be to increase the sales tax. We've got two competing initiatives here. When you've got the governor in his state of the state who has said this. No new taxes. And then you have listeners to our program where we discussed this yesterday who just are, 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 are kind of frustrated with what's happening down at the Capitol. Please listen to this. I'd vote for both simply because I have lost all trust in the state legislature to do what is right for education, especially since they seem to be determined to kill public education in this state. Senator, react to that, because we get that a lot from our our audience, that they just feel as though lawmakers are shirking their responsibility and not taking care of this. Obviously, you're taking this proposal, but do you have the support and, I mean, the likelihood of this even taking place? Well, I think the background is more complicated than most people wish to acknowledge. In 2008, Arizona plunged into the Great Recession. We had we fell the hardest, the deepest, and it took us the longest of any state in the nation to recover from that. And during that time, there were tremendous cuts that were made, not just to education, but to other important initiatives, whether it's caring for the elderly or, uh, you know, the things that the state should be doing, educating, medicating, incarcerating, All of those services were cut. So with the restoration by virtue of our restored and actually booming economy, we can now look at additional restoration of funding to our K-12 system. Um, I like my proposal because I held many meetings over a period of a year to put it together. 
It was not this session that I did it. It was last session. I worked with the K-12, the community colleges and the universities, and we came to a place where the part that we could get to, the penny sales tax, without instituting significant reforms, but just simply getting money back into the system, really hits the sweet spot. It pulls well with most Arizonans. I believe we can get it passed at the ballot, and I think it is a huge step forward of of a dedicated funding source unrelated to income taxes for uh, our education system. Again, we're talking to State Senator Kate Brophy-McGee. I have a, 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 a question, and it is a hypothetical, I'll grant you. If both of these initiatives, the Invest in Ed, Tax the Rich one, and your penny uh, sales tax are both on the on the ballot, what if they both win? Could they both pass? They could, and they could both lose. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. They could both lose. And I one just, could pass and one yeah, could fail. Yeah, but if they both passed, that would mean, a pre- it, uh, from what I see, a pretty big influx of monies into education. Um, it would be. My argument regarding in, uh, the Invest in Ed initiative is that is not ultimately a sustainable source of funding okay. because the tax increases they are targeting are the wealthy who are able to make other arrangements. It's just it's human nature. Um, just like you and I may drive an extra 30 miles to get uh, gas in our tanks that cost 10 cents less <laughs> yeah. than the station down the street, people uh, avoid paying taxes. <clears throat> so I think ultimately it would not be a re- reliable source. Invest in Ed would not be a reliable source of funding. The one, the penny for education would be, and I think um, th- that's going to be the argument I make going forward. One last question for you. Again, we're talking to State Senator Kate Brophy, Kate Brophy McGee about this. You're talking, and I think you make a fair point, too, with the invest in ed. Uh, you can make other arrangements, uh, and you could avoid paying this. You know who can't avoid paying taxes is the poor. Mm-hmm. And some of the pushback yeah. that we get on this is your proposal with the penny for education increasing sales tax disproportionately in the poor. Your response? My response is that there are provisions in Arizona statute and in the original Prop 301 that those low-income poor Arizonans can apply for tax sales tax relief. The second suggestion, and I've proposed that to the Invest in Ed people, is that we really do some targeted sales tax policy and tax work aimed at the lower income and working poor. The idea that there could be a sales tax credit on diapers, on formula, on food, on uh, feminine products. There, There are things that we could do that would really target the basic living expenses of the working poor because a larger percentage of their income goes to those non-discretionary expenses. So there are things that we can do, but just simply to wave this off as a regressive tax 
when we know that the wealthy in Arizona pay more in sales tax, when we know that the wealthy in Arizona pay a lot more in income tax, I think is, uh, I think I call it a fig leaf in my closing argument. (laughs) And thank you for that closing argument. Again, that's State Senator Kate Brophy-McGee. We'll keep our eye on the uh, the potential of a ballot initiative uh, showing up in uh, in 2020, uh, in November of this year, and allowing you to vote on these. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. So this is something that we had heard about in other countries. I want to say it was Germany and Japan were the only other uh, instances of someone who had not been to China contracting the coronavirus. We now have that an example of that here in the United States, specifically in Illinois. It was a, uh, uh, a spouse of uh, someone who had gone to, to China. But that's really one of the concerns, isn't it? I mean, that's basically gets down to the worry that you, you get a sense around ASU and the, and the Tempe campus that somebody they can contract the virus from somebody who's been to China. Yeah, and I think that ASU is in a very difficult spot right now. I, I, I can recognize that. They, they have this case and they've just told us that it's a member of the ASU community. Yeah. Well, what the heck does that mean? And I think that that scares people because, like, is it a student? Is it a faculty member? Is is it a professor? Like, is it a staff member? Who is like who is it? But ASU can't pinpoint and say it's that guy right yeah. there, and here's where he lives. He's got and, like a blinking yeah, light over like, his head, and it's like put up posters all around campus. If you've seen this man, go get tested. Like, I don't even know if it's a dude, but you get my point. Right? I they're they're in a tough position. Because by not giving people more information, like I say, they fill in the blanks themselves. And so, no, I have not been to Wuhan, China that I'm aware of. I can't find it. But have I been in contact with anybody who has been? I don't know. I don't know. Well, And and I think think that's where the fear comes from. And here's one of the disconnects. That we hear about uh, quarantines, we hear about uh, the Americans who came home yesterday from uh, on a chartered flight, and here's what I don't get. If it is a let's call it a two week incubation period, we're here fourteen days, right? Before you can be symptomatic, but that you might still be able to transmit it. Why are these people still? moving around amongst us because well, not yet those that have come back on those chartered flights i think they're quarantined for three days but i get the point that you're making three it's days not, not 14. 14 days I, I don't know i don't have an because, answer for you. because you made a good point yeah that here in the state of arizona we treat hello regular flu a lot more seriously in schools specifically. Well, not not necessarily just even the yeah. flu. Yeah. But I mean, like, let, let's say like the measles. measles. Right? You, you don't have to get your kids vaccinated no. in Arizona. You can get that personal exemption. But if there's a measles case at your kid's school and your kid's not vaccinated, you got to keep your kid out of school for I believe it's three weeks because that's the incubation period for measles. So it's three weeks from the last case to make sure that you're not susceptible. So why wouldn't we have kind of like that same benchmark right. for those that are coming from China. If you're concerned now, about it spreading. If you're concerned about it spreading. Uh, and this thing is going to spread. I mean, can we just Ouch. understand? It is. Yeah. It is most definitely going to spread. But I think it's keeping it into perspective. Again, and the numbers are, are going to go up. We've got about 130 or so deaths at this point. But every year, that's globally. Every year, There are over a half a million deaths from the flu. Mm. 
It's perspective. Yeah. Now, we don't know a lot about this. That's no. what scares people. And the headlines are scary as well. So that's why we're just trying to give you a different perspective. Hey, Cirque du Soleil, Ovo, arrives in Phoenix for the first time at Talking Stick Resort Arena. Six performances, February 20th through the 23rd. Ovo means egg. And a look into the insect ecosystem at a high-level acrobatics show that the whole family's going to enjoy. Yeah, tickets on sale now, but you can win a pair by heading over to the rewards page at KTIR.com. The Q&A period and the uh, Senate impeachment trial has begun day two. Q&As. We'll uh, dig a little bit into what happened yesterday. And could this thing all wrap up tonight? Tomorrow? We'll talk about it. Coming up next on Arizona's News Station. Arizona's News Station. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. The impeachment trial Q&A period uh, slated for 16 hours. We got roughly eight of it yesterday. Expected to get eight more of it today. Uh, started just about a half hour ago, and it is uh, the predictable gobbledygook. It gobbledygook, is, okay. It is officially at the gobbledygook stage where you have ours asking question of the White House attorneys, these leading If this was a trial, objection, leading. They're, you know... Asking them these softballs and D's doing the same. So they're apparently trying to kind of reset their arguments today. Uh, that is, if they even feel the need. Did anything move yesterday? I don't think anything moved yesterday. I don't think anything is going to move. It seems to be like a foregone conclusion. And it's frustrating at such. But that, uh, you know, this is going to end in acquittal. Maybe as early as tomorrow night. Could literally, be as, as soon as tomorrow. tomorrow night. But there's a big question and a big hurdle, both sides, everybody that is sitting in that room right now, Bruce, there's a big hurdle that they need to get over. And it's a question of witnesses. And why would you want to call witnesses if you've already made up your mind that this is the foregone conclusion of how this is going? Well, you know, you want to hear, I think, of what John Bolton wants to say or has to say, has volunteered to say. Or do you want the drip, drip, drip of a manuscript and of him talking? I mean, what prevents him from stepping up to a mic right now and just going Apparently nothing. And, and, And keep in mind, the reason that Bolton is uniquely... Yeah. Uniquely relevant to this is that John Bolton, through his manuscript for this book that he's that the White House has told him he can't release, um, directly contradicts the White House attorneys in arguing against impeachment. He says he has firsthand. Knowledge and is willing to testify under oath, under penalty of perjury, that what they said isn't true. That's why it's relevant. And it's also the reason why I believe Republicans don't want him called as a witness, because it makes it harder for them to vote to acquit, which they probably will. But it just makes it harder for them at their town halls. Will it make it harder, though, to your point, when they vote to acquit, which they will, 5347, um, and all the Bolton information comes out. And he does step to a microphone at some point between now and April or whatever. Yeah, I, th- I think it makes it very difficult for those lawmakers then to go back to their constituents and say, well, why didn't you at least give them the opportunity to hear that before you rendered your decision? 
And that's where I'm at on this. You know, um, I, I think you should hear what he has to say. Let me put this again. It doesn't mean he's telling the truth on, necessarily. Because, uh, I mean, okay, come on. Really? Like this is this is this is a guy who has been a a, a conservative, like a, a a veteran, if you will, an elder of the Republican Party for years. Now, I I don't agree with him on a lot of policy things. Okay, John Bolton and I do not see eye to eye when it comes to a lot of foreign affairs and and getting our military involved. Mm -hmm. But there there are the Republicans that are, are, are saying, you know, he is a man of his word. Juxtaposition that against a tweet. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you you get a very different perspective. Oh, I would much I would much take the word of someone who was testifying under oath over a tweet. Here's the other thing. While this is only the time that the third time, rather, that a Senate has been in the position of an impeachment trial of a president, it is the 37th time they've had an impeachment trial because you can impeach a bunch of different people right it's not uh, just presidents judges and right so this is the 37th yeah. time in senate history that this has happened and mm-hmm. 36th of them there were witnesses oh yeah this would be the only one where witnesses weren't called what does that tell you and you should want the information as much information as possible again i get back to i I live my life i make the best decision possible with the information i have at this time now that information can change later on but i try to get as much as i can right now to make the best decision i would expect the same from our senators to get as much information as possible to make the best decision i might not agree with what they think is the best decision but get the information but you say make the best decision we have already heard that they already know what the best decision is, and that's it's the what's one. Disappointing. You're, you're, and it's the it's, de- right. it's the decision that keeps somebody from tweeting mean things at them. It's the one that helps get them reelected. It's the one that increases their political power inside the. That's their best decision. They are I, I, not jurors like you and I would be down at the courthouse trying to render guilt or innocence. So it comes down to witnesses, right? And whether or not we're going to hear from witnesses before that even happens, there has to be a vote, and there needs to be fifty-one in favor. To get witnesses, there are 47 Democrats, which means they need to pull four Republicans if we assume all Democrats mm-hmm. are going to vote in favor of what witnesses. What if they only get three? If it goes to 50 50. They get three Republicans that want witnesses, which brings 54 50 against. Then what? That's a great question, and it's it? one that um, <laughs> they have been, you know, hypothetically going through and and kind of trying to game theory out for months oh boy. We as it to out? whether or not Chief Justice John Roberts um, votes. And because he could. Well, th- okay. So th- there's been guidance that they've tried to get from the parliamentary office of the Senate for months on this issue and it hasn't really been all that forthcoming and can he vote i believe i believe because i mean there's so many people that have been talking about this i believe there's precedent where he can that's what i i've heard there's that he pre- could be there, a tie-breaking vote there's precedent but just because there's precedent doesn't mean he has to exercise it but, just because he can mm-hmm. doesn't mean he so will it's a it's it's optional that Chief Justice, the presiding uh, uh, judge, could vote to break a tie, but it's his option. And he really is not one Hmm. who um, 
appears to want to to to, to get too involved in, in the politics of this. You you had uh, Chief Justice Rehnquist, you know, during the impeachment trial of President Clinton, left a lot of the matters to the Senate, and he did not break any ties. Yeah. Um, and, and so at this point. It's yet to be determined, but I just caution you folks, the next 24 hour, well, yeah, well, let's go 24 hours, it's going to be a bit of a bumpy ride. You've got the Q&A wrapping up, you know, today, and then a vote on witnesses could happen tomorrow, depending on how that goes. Uh, you know, do they vote to acquit the president tomorrow evening? Could. It's possible. Right? It's potential. Wow. All right. Keep an eye on it. One wary eye, just kind of one slanted eye over there, just looking out the side of my eye, checking it out. I've got the impeachment hearing up there. If anything exciting happens, first off, I'll be shocked. Yeah, he said exciting. If anything exciting happens, certainly let you know. Might be one of the reasons why you need to have your faith in humanity restored. Pamela says she can do that for you. Coming up next on Arizona's News Station. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. There are uh, uh, some developments, I guess you would say, in the coronavirus. We are we are now learning that we have the first, uh, the newest case, I guess I should say, in the United States, which is in Illinois. Number six. Is also the first case of someone contracting the coronavirus from another person who who went to China. So they they themselves didn't go yeah, to China. This person has never been to China, but got the it. wife did. <laughs> and that's, that's came how home got it. and yeah. got it from your wife. Yeah. Thanks, honey. Um, <laughs> India also has its first confirmed case. Ugh. We also have a cruise ship with some 6,000 people in Italy that is hovering just off the coast because there is a concern of a sick passenger. Yeah, two sick passengers that they're quarantined right now, and the, the test results should be back today on that. And then you've got Russia, who has shut down their border with China. Have you because, seen the border between oh, Russia and China? goodness. It's no small feat. Yeah, and then the World Health Organization. Who? Yeah, they're expected to have a meeting today to see if they need to... Um, Make some sort of emergency declaration on a global scale. I mean, this is making headlines everywhere. Okay. Obviously making headlines everywhere, especially here locally, because we have uh, a confirmed case in Arizona, not just in Arizona, but right down the street at ASU. Yeah. And little information has come out about that, which I think, you know, is is stoking the fear and the concern and at times the panic that we've seen. Um, I personally believe that, like, you know, we, we, we've got to take a measured response to this. Heck of a lot more people die from the flu every single year than than we've seen. Well, I know we've never seen coronavirus before, but yeah, some 60,000 people died from the flu in 2018. We've had 130 or so die from coronavirus thus far. But, but here's, Perspective. here's the, the worry, and I guess I would say here's one of my concerns. And, and there is evidence that China is not being transparent and forthcoming. Yeah. As a matter of fact... As a matter of fact, it's China. If you, you if you live in China, you're hearing a very different story about the coronavirus and that party officials, government officials um, apparently arrested people who tried to alert the public to this. So they are as as much as we know about the coronavirus from China. 
what do we really know? And people inside China aren't hearing the same story. Yeah, you know what? It's China, and that doesn't surprise me. And so I, I get that the fear of the unknown of an unknown virus and the fear of the unknown as to what China is sharing and what they aren't sharing helps to create more of that fear. But I can't tell you something we do know. You know what I know, Bruce, about the coronavirus? What's that? Can't, contains no corona beer. None. None. At all. Even though some of you are afraid of that. Which is- Searches for corona beer virus jumped 2,300%, and Business Insider reports that searches for beer virus and beer coronavirus also shot up. Stop. Coronavirus contains Stop. no beer. Stop. Oh, be better. Oh, be better. Be better. Uh, And super producer Stevie Z sent me this one. Right. Uh, Chinese dog owners are rushing to buy coronavirus masks for their dogs. Uh, uh, Also, another reminder to you, the mask is only for you You. to prevent from other people. The masks do not stop coronavirus from getting into you. It stops your your germs from going out. It doesn't prevent others from But that's not why people are wearing them. No. Yeah. Might be one of the reasons why you think we're going to heck in a handbasket. Pamela says she can restore your faith in humanity. Yeah, let's feel good about something here for a change, shall we? Uh, let's take you to Vista, California, and that's where we meet Kiki. Kiki is a kindergartner and soft-spoken little girl who, when she found out that there were kids at her school who were behind on their lunch money payments, she decided to take action and do something about it. Kiki opened up a cocoa and cookie stand. Wow. Mm. Say that fast, right? Kiki's cocoa and cookie stand and uh, and and raised money. She she did these series of fundraisers and donations started to pour in. C- classmates were just absolutely amazed. Her goal was to raise about $615 to eliminate the school lunch debt. But the Kiki's Kindness project didn't just pay off her elementary school's debt, but the entire districts. This little girl raised over $7,000. And not only did she raise the money, but she's inspired other kids. A kindergartner inspired a fifth grader. The fifth grader is now planting trees. Another one is helping the homeless. That's great. And it's just that, you know, paying it forward, inspiring others, and that ripple effect that can have such an impact. That's really cool. Yeah. That you can you can learn from others. And giving is fun. Yeah. Hey, Pamela and I, thank you for spending time with us today. We look through the double pain bulletproof class. We've got DJ Tommy Two-Tone, super producer Stevie Z, and Bob McClay.